engaging Mr. Herman, Mr. Herman to the pearly gates. Heartbreaking news. Paul Rubens, the comedian and performance artist behind the childlike alter ego Pee Wee Herman, died from complications of cancer. He was 70. He knew who we were, but who was he? Rubens created his iconic character while performing with the comedy troupe The Groundlings, and it quickly became a cultural sensation on late-night TV, which led to his breakthrough film, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and his iconic Saturday morning live-action TV show, Pee-wee's Playhouse. After being arrested in a theater in Florida, Paul Rubens' career got derailed despite a public outcry against overzealous police. Comedian Gilbert Gottfried joke, If masturbation is a crime, I should be getting the electric chair. Today, drag queen impresario Misunderstood joins us to look at the hilarious and wonderfully weird life and legacy of Paul Rubens, the genius behind Pee Wee Herman. Pee Wee. Plus, a look at the urban legends surrounding Carol Channing and the life and legacy of Chuhada Sadakat, the musician best known as Sinead O'Connor. I'm Fausto Fernos. And I'm Mark Fillion. And this is Feast of Fun. Before we begin, let's listen to a scene from Pee-wee's Playhouse, Season 1, Episode 1, titled Ice Cream Soup, where Pee-wee is bullied by Randy when he's trying to make some chocolate vanilla ice cream soup. Hey, boys and girls, let's make a snack. (laughs) Snack? Did somebody say snack? Hi, Terry. Hi, Pee-wee. Snack time's my favorite time, except for lunchtime and uh, dinner time. (laughs) Today we're going to make ice cream soup. Hmm, that's my favorite. (laughs) First ingredient in ice cream soup is... Ice cream! (laughs) 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 Ice cream soup! (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, here comes trouble. It's Randy. Hiya, Pee-wee. Hiya, Pot Terry. <laughs> That's pronounced Terry. The P is silent. Oh. Okay, Ewee. <laughs> oh! <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't very nice, Randy. Ah, uh, you'll get over it. Hmm, what's this? Ice cream soup. Yeah, I just have to put a little bit more chocolate in it. <laughs> hey, you need more than that. Let me show you. go ice cream soup <laughs> see you later <laughs> it's ruined there's way too much chocolate in my ice cream soup my snack is ruined <laughs> don't don't cry don't cry <laughs> peewee there's a solution to every problem just add more I- ice cream yeah uh, thanks cocky uh, Hello? Hey, is this misunderstood? Yes. Hey, it's Randy, your old pal, your bully. Hi. (laughs) How you doing? All right, Randy, how are you? I'm doing fine. Hey, misunderstood, don't worry about getting in trouble with the law. If it was illegal to polish your eggplant, you'd be getting the electric chair. (laughs) Wow. Welcome back to Feast of Fun, Misunderstood. Thank you. 
It's Terry. How are you? Oh, hi, Terry. Are you going to do all the voices? I could do all the. I could do all the voices. It was a little bit of peewee. It was a little hard for my voice, even though it's a little high. You know, it sounds like Jerry Lewis, but. I used to get Randy confused because wasn't there another one like Billy Baloney? Billy Baloney, yeah. It's me, Billy Baloney. I used to get them mixed up with each other. Randy was a bully, and Billy Baloney was full of himself. Designed by the great Wayne White. Were they both marionettes, or was yeah. one something? One was like a hand puppet, and the other one was like oh, okay. a marionette. Yeah. Uh, Randy yeah. was the, the bully, and he came in later mm. in the series and stuff. And he did a nemesis. Wonderful. And this is, could you do a French accent, Mark? We oui, oui. Globy. Globy like, has a French accent? Yeah. Oh. oh my God! Can you remember? <laughs> you didn't prepare. You didn't watch a single episode of Pee Wee's Playhouse for this. We just watched so the whole, we're, we're, his first uh, HBO special yesterday. Yes, the Pee Wee Herman show, where we all fell were in the love voice with him. actors different people, or did the same yes, person do Globy and Terry and all that? There were some people, you know. Um, so certainly know Phil Hartman came over, and certainly Miss Yvonne, Lynn Marie Stewart. Who's but still with oh, us. But all the puppets her. are all the puppets the same people. Uh, you did. You, I think I noticed that was a different voice. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of the different voices and stuff. But it, you know, I'm just like, just the other day we were standing outside an event and we ran into uh, RuPaul's Drag Race alum. Uh, what's her name? Shea Coulee. Mm. And she had just been cast in the X Men universe or whatever. You know, as a superhero. Well, we don't know what. And we were like, you know, we, we said, oh, yeah, your, your line in the show is paging Mr. Herman. Mr. <laughs> Herman to the front desk. <laughs> and, 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 and she kind of like, she looked at me like, you shady bitch. But she had to laugh, you know. <laughs> Another thing about like Pee Wee, Paul Rubens, you know, legacy is he gave us a vocabulary in which to embrace our queerness, our playful spirit. And bring it into everyday life. And it's not a day goes by that we don't quote something that he said or did. Well, we all do the dance when we hear the song Tequila. Yeah. <laughs> well, how often do we hear the song Tequila? Every though? once in a while it comes up. <laughs> and you know, you're walking down in you know, the East Village where you live and all of a sudden Tequila just comes on and the whole <laughs> she just breaks up every once dance. in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, um, uh, you know, we were at South by Southwest when Paul Rubens was announcing Pee Wee was going to be coming back to Broadway. Well, didn't, we, didn't we watch the HBO special there in the theater? No, we, it was just a clip. Oh, it was just a clip. And Paul Rubens came out and I asked him, you know, kind of like hinting at this, his, his trouble with the law, right? And I asked him, was like, why now? Like, you know, because the world really needed you. And it's like, we've, you've been such a big part of our lives. Thank you. You know, he said, I'm just doing it for the money and the fun. <laughs> but he went into a story about the the origins of the Pee Wee Herman dance mm. that he does in the Pee Wee Big says, Adventure. He said his dad uh, had that kind of dance, and he couldn't remember exactly what it was <laughs> that his dad did. But it was supposed to like teach you something. And my mom, my friend's mom, used to do something like that too. But she would uh, she would put her hands behind her back. But then she mm -hmm. would kind of like move them forward like he does. But she she would do it more up towards the mouth, and she would repeat these words: oral fecal, oral fecal. Like oh don't, like don't, like put your like don't you know wipe your ass and then put something in your mouth. You know you have to wash your hands. And so like she had this funny little dance about it. Like that's what tequila reminds me of. So I wonder if that's maybe what his dad was trying to teach. I them. mean, I wouldn't. That's strange that you have to. 
do some kind of exercise to remember not to touch your ass and then your mouth. Well, you you're teaching this to children. Kind of- <laughs> All right. Oh. Well, Mark, Mark, hold on a second. Let's let's pause here because what? Mark's uh, sister has Down syndrome. That's, that has nothing to do with and this. And fa- you, you this worked has nothing to do with that. It, with developmentally yeah. challenged people yes. and stuff, and and your family's involved in that stuff, right? Yes. And so I imagine that you know is really important for kids just to like keep if you wipe Foul your butt. Stuff. They, keep your hands out of your mouth. They teach yeah. that to all children. Okay. But not just to kids with developmental okay. disabilities. Oral no, fecal. Did oral you, fecal. How did your parents teach you to wash your hands? Just stick them in the sink and put soap. Okay. And then you say happy birthday. That's that's what you do. You okay. Well, a lot, of kids, a lot of kids don't you. want to wash their hands. Yeah, of course. You know, you know, let me see your hands. Different abilities. You know? A lot of adults don't want to wash And that's why I think you, you see all these queens nowadays. They all have black fingernail polish on. It's like, I'm sure all those queens are not cleaning their fingernails. And that's why they're putting yeah, the black polish yeah. on. So every time I look at that, I always think, I know they're the you think they're putting uh, <laughs> polish takes a lot longer to put polish on than to just clean your fingernails. Well, you know, you put it on once a week, and then what else do you have to do? Yeah, you, you could go. just have piles of you know stuff under there. So that Broadway show, yes. Perfidia, did the wigs for Miss Yvonne. That's right. And so she got me a free ticket and brought me backstage to meet everyone. Oh, that's so amazing. So, so the dressing room, they were, they were separated. Uh, Pee Wee had his own and initially we did not see Pee Wee, uh, but Jombie and Miss Yvonne and some other people were all getting ready in one big room and we hung out with them the whole time. And like, I'm amazed. Like, Jombie is like a hero of mine, you know, uh, what's his name again? John Paragon. Yeah. And he, he wasn't very conversational. I mean, he was doing his makeup. It's fine. But Miss Yvonne chatted with us the whole time, uh, Lynn Stewart, and it was just amazing to really – and she even had a party in one of the dressing rooms after the show, so we hung out <laughs> with her. And she's still my Facebook friend and wishes me happy birthday every year. And oh. I'm not sure if she knows I'm the same person or she just thinks I'm some drag queen on her face, Facebook list, but she always acknowledges me, and, and uh, which is very sweet. Yeah, I mean, for somebody who is as famous as she is, you you're surprised that she's so accessible. Like, I'm she's so on Facebook. Yeah, she's like a really nice person. I mean, you, and you, the but most you can kind of tell, woman like, in Pee Wee Land, in the world, in Puppet Land, in Puppet Land. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, but you can just tell they're cool people by what they do. They're not; those people are not just hired actors. You could just tell they were an ensemble of cool people. Everyone that touched that show was cool. Even Natasha Leone, who was a child, how did the child end up being the coolest person? I don't know, but she is. Everyone involved in that show is just. cool. Cool. Did you get to meet Pee Wee? So what yeah. happened was we walked by, we weren't being pushy enough to just like walk into his dressing room, but we walked by the door and he was in there talking to puppeteer Basil Twist, who I happen to know because he was a downtown person, you know, who got, who got, who, who's very, he's one of the most talented puppeteers in the world. So he's gotten respected. He did all the puppetry in the show. So Basil's like, hey, come on in when we walked by. And so we went in and Pee-wee's just chatting and talking. And he actually talked about Lady Bunny. Um, I don't really remember what he said, but I was doing that thing where I was (laughs) acting really cool. Like, okay, I'm friends with your uh, co-worker here and we're just cool. Like it's nothing because I never want to act starstruck because then – 
when you act starstruck and you ask for an autograph, it immediately creates a distance. Then they're mm-hmm. working. They're like, yes, yes, yes. Smile, smile, smile. So you try to act cool like it's no big deal. But of course, it's a big deal. I'm talking to Bailey Herman. But I acted very cool. I didn't ask for anything. I just chatted about Bunny, like acted casual, like we've like he's just some guy. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. I just was like, oh. I had the uh, that sounds like a fantastic experience. I had a different experience because after after he did the speech at uh, so, or the talk at South by Southwest, he went outside and he gave out free ice cream at this <laughs> at this ice cream truck. So people all stood in line and got like free ice cream. And um, he, I, so I was next in line. He came in. He was holding this thing. And I think it was some kind of popsicle. And he kind of, <laughs> I looked at him and I looked at him. He looked at me and he goes, I have a feeling this isn't the kind of like ice cream treat you want. And I was just like, yeah, can I have another one? <laughs> Cause I, I don't remember what it was, but then he got me a different one and it was a better ice cream treat, but it was just kind of like he read me in that moment. But also I was, I was a little starstruck, I think. Well, he's just such a compassionate person, you know, for somebody who really shaped the, the, the humor of a whole generation of people and certainly inspired so many entertainers and queer artists and comedians and us, you know, in, in a very deep way to hear the shocking news that he's been living with and struggling and fighting with cancer for six years. And, oh, and he, wow. you know, even his way that he left this world, he's like apologizing for not telling the public that he was fighting this. And I'm sure that, you know, the news came as a surprise to even some of his closest friends because he was working on a, a dark reboot of Pee Wee's Big he Adventure. Was? Yeah. Oh wow. I had read about that. Yeah. I didn't know if it was really happening. Was it really supposed to happen? It was. Uh, you know. It was. You know. You know. These things take five or six or ten years. So you know, it's it certainly was something he was well, at. Now with, was yeah with AI working on Pee Wee will live forever. We could have Pee Wee forever now. I don't know. I tried to put a like AI through the filter and generate a Pee Wee Herman, and it just looked. It just looked wrong. <laughs> oh. Well, they'll have better. They'll have better AIs at it. Hopefully, in the future. You know, misunderstood. I'm so glad that we're having you on the show because you know, as a drag queen, as a connoisseur of weirdos, and as a entertainment mogul, you know, you you have a lot of. <laughs> Paul Rubin's DNA inside you, you know? Well, that's because I swallowed his semen. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember where you were as a young person? It's like, where did you discover Paul Rubin's or Pee Wee Herman? Like, do you remember the first time you saw him on television? I don't remember the first time I saw him, but I remember the first time I saw Mm -hmm. the TV show. And I have to say, the TV show blew me away more than the movie. The the Um, Pee Wee's Playhouse, you mean? Yeah. I just... It's hard, you know, you, it's really hard to tell a person who's younger because things, the way things are done have evolved. So when you look back at something from the past, you don't see how edgy it was. Um, mm. But just the fast pace of it. I mean, things got much more fast paced after that, like kids, cereal and candy commercials got real crazy and cartoons got real crazy, but they hadn't yet. And uh, the way the camera moved around, the weird perspective of like, you could never quite tell the shape of the playhouse because it was so crazy. You know what I mean? It wasn't Mm -hmm. like four walls as the camera panned, it just went into a new area. It just was confusing on purpose. And one thing happened after another, happened after another, happened after another. And, And everything that happened was so intricate and crazy. Everything talked. I mean, you know, I mean, again, he's being inspired by like 
the past and maybe kids shows of the past, but hyping it up to this level of ridiculousness. Like everything talks, the flowers, the, 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 the window, the floor, the fridge, everything. The food in the like, fridge. The, the floor, food in the fridge was terrifying. Clock. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, the door, the, the only thing that wasn't alive was the door. But the window was, just, was alive. Was the, floor the window alive? was alive? Yes, yeah. the floor is flory. The floor yeah. is flory. The clock is clocky. The globe is globy, and it's just sort of like a you know. It, it gave us this you know taste of postmodernism or meta culture. You know where it's commenting on itself as it comes, and it has all these like layers of you know the floor is a, a southwestern. Uh, Native American pattern, and there's you know all kinds of like uh, like the 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 little room where he talks on the phone has all this like art on the walls, including like uh, is it supposed to be like a Bob? like a photo booth? It looked like a photo booth. To yeah, me. and you know like there's this there's all there's what well, changes a little bit too, right? There's so much art permeating everything: high art, low art, kitsch art. And, you know, uh, Pee Wee, uh, Paul Rubin said, you know, his goal was to have artists take control over the asylum. And yeah. there's a story that in the first season, when he was coming out, the CBS censors were like really upset because there's a scene where he leans forward. They come back from a commercial and he's like, not yet. You know, he's screaming. And then he goes back in. And then you hear a flushing of a toilet and he comes out with a toilet paper stuck to his shoe. And, the, the <laughs> and he doesn't comment about that. They wanted him to cut that out. And he's like, this is my show. This is my rules. And, and he fought for all this subversive, wild, crazy stuff that as kids, it made us feel sophisticated. It made us feel intelligent. It made us feel valued. You were a kid. Are you that young? Yeah, I was, I was, I was, <laughs> I was in, living in I Puerto Rico watching this and I yeah. would set the alarm to watch Pee Wee's Playhouse. Like it was, it was must see television on Saturday morning. I was already, I was already, I guess. Yeah. The show came out. Where I was my first year of college, I think. Yeah. Oh, you guys are so old! Isn't that nice? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember well, the I, first time I, I saw, saw him on HBO, and then he was yeah. a, 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 a guest on, on David Letterman often. That was when I first saw him. You know, so that's yeah. how I kind of knew him. And then when the TV show came out, I mean, I wasn't up in the morning to watch the TV well, show. Well, you were a little but when bit the movie older. came out. It was you know fantastic. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, yeah, and and so you know, for me, it's like I. What we do here in the podcast, uh, the live show, you know, Feast of Fools used to be called Feast of, I'm sorry, Feast of Fun used to be called Feast of Fools. And it was a very tightly scripted show with puppets and drag queens and musical numbers that, you know, very much reference Pee Wee's Playhouse and was compared to it a lot. And, you know, the, doing this kind of stuff is really tricky because when there's all this makeup and puppets and silliness to it, people have a tendency not to show up on time for rehearsals or take things seriously or memorize their lines. And, you know, to Paul Rubin's credit, he was really good at finding talented, brilliant people who were at the beginning of their careers. And like, you know, filmmaker Tim Burton said, I was a nobody, you know, I had been fired from Disney mm. for doing Frankenweenie. <laughs> and that movie inspired Pete, Paul Rubin's to hire him to direct Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and had he said if it hadn't been for Paul Rubens, 
he would not have a filmmaking career. And it was Danny Elfman's first uh, film score. And he's like, I don't know what I'm doing either. And he's like, and so Paul Rubens believed in all the people that he worked with and saw something greater inside them. Mm-hmm. And that's to me, like the most important legacy that he leaves behind is just this wisdom and, and compassion and insight into seeing the best in everybody he interacted with. You know, and so for me as a kid, it's like watching him on David Letterman opening up his shopping bag and pulling out all these toys. I was like, that's what I want to do with my life, too. Prop <laughs> humor. Well, it was just, you know, and, and really uh, Weird Al Yankovic was mm-hmm. very similar to that. And, you know, Ali Willis, who we've had on the show, who, you know, was very in- involved in creating that show. And, you know, Cassandra Peterson is uh, um, Elvira, mistress. Of the, right? Yeah, I mean, but there was there was just this appetite for... Because we didn't have the internet, right? Mm-hmm. So people would just go to thrift stores or museums or libraries mm-hmm. and find these weird things and collect them and then make art on these weird things. And so it was very common to go to somebody, you know, an artist's home in the 19, early 90s, late 80s, where the walls were painted weird colors and there was like religious candles and puppets and fur covered picture frames and like my home was and like statues that. of Pee Wee Herman <laughs> before, before. Yeah. You but, know. but it was a Pee Wee's influence, but it mm-hmm. was like, that's just what artists did, you know? And we would go to thrift stores and buy weird shit. And you know, your, your style misunderstood is very much, you know, you would, if you walked onto Pee Wee's playhouse, you would fit right in. I wish I did. You could challenge uh, Miss Yvonne for the most beautiful woman in Puppet Land. In That's Puppet true. Land. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, fight to the death. <laughs> I know. Who she's still be? the most beautiful woman in Puppet Land. I oh. love her. And she's alive. They're all dying. Jombie died Jambi first. Died. John Paragon died. They're all in heaven oh. with Phil Hartman making new television shows. Um, did you know there was a Pee Wee Herman serial? That was a breakfast cereal, a breakfast cereal. And now Paul Rubens, this is interesting. When he started doing the Saturday morning cartoon, uh, I'm sorry, Saturday morning series, live action series. He was really worried that he was going to affect children in a negative way. And, and a lot of people don't realize that he, you know, some of his early work was in Cheech and Chong movies doing cocaine with them. Their scenes with Paul Rubens. Well, all right. Yeah, snorting cocaine and with all the stuff. And so he was like, I really want to, you know, be a positive influence for children. And the show, if you really look at it and examine it, it's about like getting in touch with your feelings and solving problems. Helping others. Helping others, doing, you know, sharing and, you know, giving your wish up for somebody else's happiness, you know. And so, so he wanted to have a sugar-free ki- or low-sugar kids cereal, and he thought it would be really hilarious to team up with Purina Dog Chow to create Pee Wee Chow, a cereal for kids for for kids to eat that they would, and they have a commercial that he described as the mother 1950s mom would pour a bowl of the cereal and put it on the floor, <laughs> and says. Come and eat, get it. And the kids would crawl on the floor and eat it like a dog. Now they did taste tests on this and the kids hated it because it wasn't sweet enough. Oh. So it never went to market, unfortunately. That almost sounds like an urban legend. That's what he said. He said it was. <laughs> why would you, why pure in a dog child? Why would you team up with a dog manufacturer to make a cereal and not go to a Do cereal? Do you not know any children? <laughs> I never <laughs> thought of it as a kid's show. I mean, I know that it was kind of, it was kind of both. Oh but I, I just remember at the time thinking, 
I can't believe they're pulling off playing this on Saturday morning like it's for kids. That was my thought at the time because it just didn't even I, I you know, I wasn't watching Saturday morning cartoons anymore, but I would certainly go, ooh, Pee-wee and go turn it on. I mean, you know, well in a lot of double entendres like stuff like the kid wouldn't understand. We understood it. I was 12 years old. You still don't understand some of the things on that things. show. <laughs> I, 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 I'm explaining half the show to you well, There was a joke that you were like, it took a long time for me to get. Which one was that? About the, about the rubbing or something. It was like, just this afternoon, you were like super mad at me that it was a good idea. <laughs> was it a Pee Wee Herman thing? No, something else. But, oh. but you know, it's like the show spoke to kids like me. They're, they're, you know, the latent queer kids, the misfits, the outcasts, the outlaws. And it created a, a space where we were celebrated and loved. And for that one hour, technicolor hour of mm-hmm. the day, we could escape into a world. Of course, it was, you know, clearly artificial. <laughs> a world of muscly, shirtless uh, lifeguards that just yeah. visit. He only lasted one you. season. Poor Tito. I know. I was just looking up. I was looking up Ricardo and Tito. Mm-hmm. I guess they I wanted, was, I, they, you know, had him. Basically, be a, a Latin gay guy, like a, a buff stud. Yeah. He came off as very gay, but I guess in one episode they had him express interest in Miss Yvonne because she's such a beautiful woman of all puppet land. Everybody, even the gay guys, want her. And he said yeah. uh, in Spanish, Das mucho placer a mis bolas. And I remember watching that with my little sister, Talia. And I was 12 and she was eight years old. Mm-hmm. And she, we both looked at each other. We're like, Did we just hear that? What does that mean? It means you give me a lot of pleasure to my balls. But, you, you know, because he's holding oh, he was a, oh, that was the so- second one who was a soccer player. Yeah, That's so he's it, holding right, right, the soccer right. ball. and But, you know... It's very clear what he's saying. You know? <laughs> well, that's the thing is like you can say a lot of things that are dirty in Spanish on American television because yeah. Americans aren't going to understand it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I, in researching for the show, I realized that uh, Pee Wee's start, you know, came from his family um, when he was like around the age that I discovered him. He begged his father, who was an Orthodox Jew, uh, you know, Israeli war veteran. Um, to build a little stage where he and his brother and sister, Luke and Abby, could recreate plays together. And uh, it turns out that Abby Rubenfeld, which is their, not Rubens, he actually changed his name so he wouldn't bug his family with his fame. Uh, Abby Rubensfeld grew up to be um, a lesbian civil rights lawyer in Tennessee. Wow. Yeah. I think she was in charge of a gay rights organization. For She's a while. been involved with, uh, you know, uh, everything: um, equality, Tennessee, um, Lambda Legal, um, mm. you know, everything. It would be great yeah. if you like, you know, found her on YouTube and some hearing that she talked like was a lady who talked just like Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> I wonder if she's got Pee Wee's haircut. Well, you should look at the other lawyer and go, now you are, but what am I? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I wonder, your glue. When, on David Letterman, David asked him, he's like, do you have a family? He's like, yeah, I have a sister named Hermione, and I have a father named Herman Herman, and then a brother named Herman Jr. And, you know, and, and so I was like, this is so great. Like, he created alter egos for his family members. And his mother is Honey Herman. Oh. <laughs> And, you know, so so to me, it's like, you know, Pee Wee's uh, legacy is just this amazing legacy that continues to live on. And, you know, in the 1980s, he was one of these artists or comedians that we believed was real. You know, even talking about him now, we don't talk about him as much as Paul Rubens 
as Pee Wee died, you know? Well, I mean, you get that initial thing when he comes out, is this guy for real? But then you, you know, you realize, oh, this is just a character he's doing. But you actually believe that he was like that. But like Cassandra Peterson as Elvira or Mr. Well, T, you yeah. know, I mean, these are people who would go on talk shows in full drag or in the full in costume the yeah, as their characters. Do yeah. you really see that much anymore? I don't know. Even drag queens are kind of like. I don't think anyone does that anymore. Yeah. That was a yeah. thing then. And I really like that better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I should, remember I when we first started taping this podcast, you got mad at me because we were asking the drag queens for their, you know, their, offstage their names. names. Yeah. I, I, and talking to, I, yeah, talking no, to drag queens I, I, about their careers even was like contra- controversial because it was supposed to be they were just a character and that's how it was supposed to be. That's right? I I like that better, honestly. I mean, I know it's changed. It's mm-hmm. not what it is anymore, but I liked it better. Do you feel like we've lost something? Like a, we've well, lost an innocence? Or Okay, so you know who was a character mm-hmm. even though it was her real name? If you watch the earliest talk, I went on a deep dive on YouTube. It's so fun the way you can watch someone evolve because you could watch 30 years of them on YouTube, right? Cindy Lauper was completely in character when she would go on Letterman and Tony yeah. Carson in the beginning. She would come on, exaggerate the voice. Her shtick was she would tell a really long joke that didn't make any sense. That Like the punchline wasn't a punchline. Mm. And they would look at her like, she's just, you know, and, but she's just so cute and crazy. And so she was doing like a Pee Wee thing, really, in the beginning. Little by little, she became a real person. You know, like by ten years later, she's completely like a normal person. You know, but oh, but for wow. the first for the first ye two years or something, she was a complete character in her talk show appearances. You should really go back and watch. It's fun. I definitely will. Well, there's a connection between Pee Wee and Cindy, right? They were close friends before any of their success. Kind of makes sense. And uh, Pete, Paul Rubens was friends with Lorraine Newman, uh, you know, and, and that's why he wanted to audition for Saturday Night Live. And Cindy Lauper did the theme song to the show, which was not revealed for years. Well, we knew about Although, it. I, we, a lot of us kind of, well, you know what I remember thinking? I remember thinking like, oh, it's someone trying to sound like Cindy Lauper, like, a, you know, like, because it's television, you feel like, oh, let's just get some no-name person, but tell them to sing How it like How does the Cindy. theme song go, Fausto? Well, um, so a couple of things. So to clarify here, so the theme song, and I started, I watched it again today. Cause I was like, it is implied that Cherry is singing. So oh, right. uh, Paul Rubens and, and John and, and, um, and Phil Hartman and, uh, and the team, you know, went to Danny Elfman. Who, or I'm not so sure it was Danny Elfman who composed it, but the person who wrote that and said, Hey, we want this to sound like Betty Boop. And so literally Paul Rubens says, uh, come on in and pull yourself up a chair. And he goes, and then Pee Wee interjects and points to Cherry and says, that's Cherry. And it's time to let down your hair. And then a wig drops down and, and, and they go, Ooh, you know, react to that. And so in my mind and a lot of kids' minds, we're thinking that Cherry's singing the theme song. Right, right, And the right. person who did the voice for Cherry did not do that voice, but it's clearly right. like very similar. And, uh, you know, we have some friends who are very close friends with, with them and um, told us that that was Cindy Lauper. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. And we kept <laughs> that secret until Cindy Lauper put it out in her book and, and came out of the closet as, as a person who recorded it. Now, she didn't want people to know that she sang the theme because she was afraid it would hurt album sales for for her uh, sophomore album, True Colors. And so she was credited as Ellen Shaw 
in the show's uh, titles. And Paul Rubin sent her a screener uh, talking over it saying, oh, no, my career is ruined. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the best story? I, I just think it's interesting how the idea of what would ruin a career has changed so much. Right. You know, like people used to be so worried about any little this. Mm-hmm. And, like, for instance, uh, so like, like I guess this is what she was thinking. Celebrities used to not do commercials uh, unless it was in Japan because there was no internet. Nobody would see it here. They would do foreign commercials because right. um, it was seen as like lowbrow. But that goes back to the 60s where like movie stars wouldn't do television because it was lowbrow, you know, and uh then some, of course, did, and then it became normal, and you know. So I, I don't know what she, why she thought at the time I, singing a TV theme. So I guess because they thought they didn't know it would be such a cool show. Mm-hmm. I guess. Well, it's also they like just, not her style, really. She's right? very sincere, and the and Pee Wee's Playhouse is the opposite of sincere. It's wild, you know. It's un unhinged. Mm-hmm. Literally, you let I mean, down. She kind of did the Betty Boop. She did the Betty Boop yeah. voice on She's So Unusual at the beginning, remember? So mm. you kind of knew she sounded like that. So I, I, I completely thought, I don't think I knew I knew it was her, but I thought, ooh, sounds like a lot like someone you know, doing a Sydney. I mean, with gays, the words, it gets around, you know. I mean, we didn't have the yeah. internet. We all heard the Whitney Houston, Jodie Foster, Kelly McGillis rumors. We all knew who was gay and who wasn't, you know? The Dolly Parton has tattoos on her sleeves. I don't know, that I might be posted knew- I knew a lesbian who wrote yeah. one of Whitney Houston's songs. Uh, she was a DJ. She wrote Love Will Save the Day. And she told us that back then, she said, like, Whitney was completely open in front of her. Like, Robin was with her. They were clearly together. It wasn't even like, so I guess when you're on a certain level in the industry, they don't hide things from you. Mm-hmm. And I guess they're working with some, you know, dyke DJ. They just didn't care to hide it. So she said, yeah, it was really, you know, like, just plain, right there in plain sight when I knew her. Um, but, of course, the public didn't know. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite um, peewee quote? Like, cause there's so many. You know, I know what you are, but what am I? Don't you know? have one off the top of my head. Well, let me read you something to you. The secret <laughs> word of the day is fun. We actually did that in a, in a Feast of Fools show and the audience loved it. <laughs> and uh, why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. Uh, I meant I meant to do that. And you know, I was researching these are all just this. things that kids say, Fausto. <laughs> well, but he's accredited yes. with it, you know. It's like um, that's my name. Don't wear it out. Actually, is a line from Greece, John Travolta, and then uh, it's also ref- uttered in Dobie Gillis by uh, by by Gilligan. <laughs> that's my name. Don't wear it out. <laughs> and uh, you know, we knew who he knew who we were. You know, Paul Rubens knew who we were as people and, and spoke to us very on a very deep level. But who was he like, you know, cause there's all these rumors when he got arrested, you know, that he was gay, that he was uh, just, you know, f- the full gamut and listening back on interviews with him, especially when he's leaving, letting his guard down, like this video that he made for Kathy Griffin shortly before he died. And I'm listening to this and I'm like, this sounds like a gay guy's voice. You know, and I don't know if it's that effect that when you surround yourself with queer people, like you pick up on their mannerisms because, you know, like he was married to two women in his life. 
You know, I always kind of thought he, listen, I don't know if he was gay. I always just kind of thought he was his whole, his whole kitschy, campy, you know, way that he, it's like he just, his whole language was very gay. Mm -hmm. I mean, he may not have been gay. I mean, I don't know, but by default, I just always assumed he was, Um, you know, right. He's, he's very campy and that's camp. I mean, he had a Christmas special with Grace Jones and Charo (laughs) and I mean, like, I mean, it was like a gay fantasy Christmas Mm -hmm. special. I mean, it would be very strange. I mean, I do know a few oddball straight guys that are almost gay in every other way, but liking dick. I mean, I know people like that. So it's possible. There aren't that many of them. There's only (laughs) a handful of them, but he could have been one of them. Most of them I've slept with, but... But Are you saying that like Paul Rubens was more of a metrosexual kind of person who just like appreciated queer culture? If he wasn't gay, yes. I don't know what he was because... He was pretty. He, he doesn't. You don't really get much about his private life, one way or the other. Even if he did marry those women at some point, it wasn't high profile. Mm-hmm. He didn't appear in public with them. Well, and I guess I would guess that mm-hmm. those were very brief marriages. Well, there was, you know, I mean, because you know, his theater incident is, you know, a straight guy is a straight guy going to go into a movie theater and masturbate with others? Well, straight it was, guys? It was a straight. A straight mo- it was a straight movie. Yes, but you're um, in there, so I and do it's only think mostly men. Right. I I don't know. I mean, I know that gay guys would go to meet each other in a straight porno theater if you were in the middle of nowhere. But I do think straight guys jerked off in a porno theater too. I do, not with each other, but by themselves. So I did, remember they did they didn't have movies on the internet at home mm-hmm. yet. No, so I don't, I don't. I don't, but you think think you get them on VHS, right? So, (laughs) you know, to to kind of explain, and let's talk about his trouble with laws and and his uh, accusations. And, you know, he said, and his friend says, like, he had done everything intentionally and unconsciously to destroy the brand. Mm -hmm. It is the brand that would not die. And, you know, in terms of Sarasota, Florida, that's, he was taking care of his dad Mm -hmm. who was sick and, and, you know, in the process of dying and in hospice. And, you know, he went, he was like, you know, you know how it is when you're, if, if for those of you who have, that gets pe- some people horny. Well, when your parents live in the middle of nowhere, you know, Sarasota, yeah, you Florida, go into the closest place, which might've been that, that boring porno theater. Sure. You know, just, <laughs> just to do something exotic and wild and fun, you know? And so he naively went to this place and he thought no one would recognize him. And, and then that you know, not realizing that, and this is this happens to us when we go to Austin, Texas. I'm like, you know, Mark, be careful because you know, in the Listen, south, I have been to group activities and stuff like that, and then people start talking to me about the podcast. I'm just like, this is not the time and the place. But in the in the <laughs> south, when you're doing things mm-hmm. that are walking the edge of legality, the police make it their you know they don't fight the crimes. You know, as Gilbert Gottfried said, it's like. If masturbating was a crime, a real crime, then I'd be getting the electric chair. Mm. And, you know, in in terms of him being arrested because he was masturbating, like people fix over, did he masturbate or did he not? And I'm like, he probably didn't. You know, he was just there. But but the thing is, that's what I thought. But if he did, so what? I thought a porno theater was full of people masturbating. They yes. know that. Now, that's what, some that, people are that's, there just to watch it. You know? Fausto. Yeah, I don't think that many people are there just to watch how it. How naive I mean, porn, are you? Who just watches <laughs> Have porn you not like been to Steamworks movie? and you, like, oh, let's go to a gay bathhouse. 
you walk into the room where they're they're showing porn. Some people are just sitting there looking at it. Like they're, some they just people look at are sitting there. But guys, yeah. you have to remember when you're in a bathhouse, there's little rooms to go in and fuck and whatever. Yeah. If there aren't, and you're just in a theater, and there's, that's that's the whole place, people are sitting down and masturbating. And they did they did this on purpose. They could have arrested anybody in that theater. You they arrested know? everybody that day. You know, it just did they? Oh, yeah, they four did. People got arrested. Or As they were coming out, they didn't like go up to them with their hands no, on their dicks. That they says a lot more about Florida. Out. Florida's yeah. just always been a shitty place. They no. leave people alone. They paid to go in a theater. Mm. And, like you really believe the other people in the theater were looking at these, going, "Oh my god, I feel assaulted right now. That person is masturbating <laughs> you know, while I'm trying to watch a sexually explicit film." <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, that's what they're there for. They're yeah. masturbatoriums. Yep. That's what I'm saying. It's you know you go there and, to and, jerk and, off. The thing is, at the time, there wasn't something you would really say out loud on TV. That yes, that's what everybody does there because there's just certain things weren't talked about in the mainstream culture at the time. So it it, it just nobody would acknowledge that at the time that mm-hmm. that's what everybody's doing there. Even though lots of people knew that it's very puritanical, uh, you know. That they just they would they wouldn't talk about that and like you if you had that happen to you you, you your show would be canceled. But now, you know what I feel like we elect people as presidents now that do this kind of stuff. I felt like at the time that happened that men all knew that's what goes on in there, but women didn't because women women you don't see very many women who'll go sit in a theater and masturbate. This season. I'm not saying there were none. Of course, there's some, mm-hmm. but not that many. Men are just more willing to whip it out in weird situations. Mm-hmm. And so I think almost every guy was like, yeah, well, that's what goes on in there. So <laughs> in reaction to that arrest, uh, CBS pulled Pee-wee's Playhouse off the air. Um, all these toy stores and including the big retailers, mm-hmm. pulled all yeah. the Pee-wee, Pee-wee toys off their shelves. But there was a secondary market for those at the sex stores as dildos. What are you talking about? Is that true? That's not true. Um, And, you know, and in terms of like, you know, his career, it it basically torpedoed it. He wasn't working until he did Mystery Men. And I remember when he was in Mystery Men. He did Buffy the Vampire. Which he parodied getting caught in the theater. His death scene, because he's a vampire in there, right? And they they stab him with a, you know, a a wooden stake in the heart. And it's just, (laughs) he makes these sounds like I'm dying. And it just goes on forever. And it sounds like, you know, somebody who's masturbating very vigorously. I believe uh, the Mystery Men, yeah. So Mystery Men came first, and then uh, oh, Buffy okay. the Vampire. But like right on the forward. heels of each yeah. other, I'm sure. And I remember watching Mystery Men and not recognizing Paul Rubens or Pee Wee Herman, you know. And I was, we were just like, oh my god, he's back! Like he was notorious, mm-hmm. and it made it made him a larger than life figure because it was really like he was such a beloved entertainer, you know. And you watch that video with him and Carol Channing, and everybody loves Carol Channing. And they're at the award ceremony and Carol Channing's like, hi, I'm Carol Channing. You know, everyone's like, yay. And then I'm Pee Wee Herman. And everyone's like, yeah, like the the crowd was wild, you know, and uh, poor Carol. Well, if they weren't excited for her, they were excited excited for for her, but they were even more excited for Pee Wee Herman. You know, I I just love seeing those are two of my favorite people, seeing them together. It's like. That's magic. just crazy. It's just magic. Mm-hmm. Those two insane people. Would you follow them into together. a theater and masturbate with them? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> would you sit between them or would you uh, be on uh, the, Which side would you I be would, on? I would have to sit between them because I'd have to get a little taste of both. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Anybody who's not masturbated and, you know, throw the first stone. 
Well, you know, Sticky I think stone. it's. I think yeah. it's why people like Carol Channing and Liza Minnelli always marry gay guys because you're so fascinated with them that you'll even fuck them if you have to just to hang around with them. If I had to fuck Carol just to hang out with her, I would I would have to do it because I wouldn't really want to fuck her. But if that's how I what I had to do to get her to like and now with, with Trimix you can fuck anything. You know, <laughs> Trimix, Trimix is, is an like an injection you can put into your dick and just keep it hard for for like four oh. hours. You know, when we saw Pee, be careful, you know, kids. When we saw Pee Wee, <laughs> listen, I'm not giving out medical advice. When we saw Pee Wee at South by Southwest, he he talked about after the arrest, he went and stayed at Doris Duke's estate in this house. Uh, Doris Duke, for people that don't know, she was an, a famous American heiress. She was heir to like the Duke fortune, which is mostly like cigarette tobacco money, I believe. Uh, and then diversified. And so she's the old school heiress. And so uh, he stayed there and he stayed in the same cottage uh, that Amelda Marcos stayed in after she had to flee the Philippines. <laughs> Doris put her up in the cottage. And now, you know, she got a, a, a reprieve too. Amelda Marcos, she's back in the Philippines. And like, I think her son's the president now or something. Oh, crazy. it's just crazy. But, yeah. you know, uh, so I, he was married to her daughter, to Doris Duke's daughter. So he just kind of like wrote out the controversy there in this fabulous estate, you know, because, you know, Doris knows what it's like to be surrounded by controversy because it's been alleged she killed a a, a gay man. How did she kill him? (laughs) She ran him over with his car. He was trying to leave. She did a Caitlyn Jenner. She she ran him over. And then the the cops came and one guy like he he came forward like later after she died. He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure she killed him. And Paul Rubin says, I want to marry that. (laughs) The daughter. The daughter. Oh, because the mother is the one. The mother is. The mother is. Oh, the one that killed him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Allegedly. If you piss off your mother-in-law, it's like, Mm -hmm. watch out. Yeah. And she had a fabulous, I I saw her, I think, went by her estate in Newport Beach. If you ever, Newport, Rhode Island, if you ever had a chance to see there, all the rich people had had, uh, places there. But what's interesting about it, too, is the Navy was also stationed there. And I was talking to this older guy with my mother. He's just like, oh, yeah, back in the 70s, this place was wild. I mean, it was like sailor saloons everywhere, tattoo parlors, this, this, this. Like, it's all changed now. It's all like more family friend. He's like, you would have loved it. And he kind of like looked at me. I was like, okay, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm just, you know, so heartbroken that, you know, I hope that the last six years of Paul Rubin's life were filled with joy and happiness, you know, and certainly... I- Going through not cancer. Well, dealing with cancer, like I just dealt with cancer for, you know, not life threatening cancer, Mm -hmm. but pretty serious cancer. And it's like, it's just, you know, sometimes you don't want to tell people about it because it's just they can't stop talking to you about the thing that you're going through. And I imagine that, you know, for him being this beloved public figure who's in the hearts and souls of so many people. Um, it would just been emotionally overwhelming for him, you know? So, so for, I hope that his last years were filled with love and, you know, surrounded by all the wild, crazy things that he enjoyed doing, you know, Mm. um, the, the, so when he was in, you know, trouble with the law and he moved back to LA and stuff for a while and, and his, uh, his, um, his house was raided by the police and, you know, Paul Rubens would buy from estate sales, weird shit in bulk, you know, like crates of this stuff. And so the police uh, f- claimed that they found child pornography in his house, but it was something, it was, uh, it turned out from speaking to friends that it was um, Victorian greeting cards of like angels and cherubs, you know, so basically like little naked babies, mm-hmm. you know, with Valentine's day cards from that time period. 
And, you know, um, he also collected like bodybuilding magazines and wrestling magazines and like erotic and nude photography. And so the police were like, because you have basically a Victorian greeting card of a cherub in the same box as, you know, a bodybuilder flexing his muscles, we're saying this is child pornography. And so yeah, the district they, attorney, they, they, um, people will do mm-hmm. all kinds of shit like that. I mean, yeah. And so they, they, uh, on the last day they could file, they filed a claim and then they decided not to go to court. So they just settled out of court. Cause it was like, I, I don't want to deal with this, you know? And, um, but he said in an issue a statement, it's like, you can think anything of me, but I am not a pedophile. I'm not a person who c- collects child pornography. And, you know, and that's, that stuff so what really, do you mean they settled out of court. Well, he basically the case or what he didn't drop the case. He just basically they I think they basically settled out of court with his lawyer. I don't know how that works. Well, you you settling out of court isn't is it criminal isn't a criminal thing. You're getting that mixed up. That's like you're suing someone. I actually read this today. Yeah, yeah. but they 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 ended up giving him like he had to plead guilty, uh, but to 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 only like some little tiny like some tiny fine like a hundred dollars, and he had to. Not be not not be unsupervised around minors for three years. That's what it was, yeah. Which is what he said is like, well, I wouldn't anyway. Like I, you know, like he doesn't have kids. If he's around minors, it's with their families. Like he doesn't. There's no instance for him to be unsupervised around minors. So he was like, sure, whatever. My father's dying. I'm busy. I don't. Was it around the time his father was dying? I thought so. Probably. Um, You know, the thing about it is, it's like he settling out of court means it didn't go to trial. So he pleaded to the lesser charge and, you know, wasn't around allowed to be around alone with children like a like a public school teacher would be or or, or a priest (laughs) or, you know, so. So to me, it's like I felt that, you know, in in reflecting on his trouble with the law, it was he was targeted because he was seen as a queer icon who happened to have a number one television show for children. You know, and 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 he awakened and and inspired so many queer sensibilities in queer people and non queer people alike. Well, what's unfortunate is that he had to end that with a plea because now people will hold that up and say, "See," and yeah. and I've been saying that on on like TikTok comments all day, like people going, "Oh, you're ignoring the fact that he was a pedophile," and I'm thinking, like, where are the receipts for that? And I guess to them, that's it because he did he did make that mm. plea, but it, they're not really looking into the details of it. No, you know? nor do they care to. They want to just talk about that kind of stuff because you know the the as conservative people love to accuse other people of being pedophiles yeah. when it usually turns out they're the pedophile themselves. Yeah. I know. Uh, Tim Burton said he's shocked and saddened. I'll never forget how Paul Rubens helped me at the beginning of my career. I would not be the, have the career today without his support. He was a great artist. He's deeply missed and I'll miss him too. Uh, Katie Lang, interestingly said, sweet rebirth, sweet man, beautiful, joyous thing. I love you. Now, Katie Lang and Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens, uh, didn't talk for a long time because they had a big fight in the filming. How did of, we find out about that? Uh, I'm not going to tell you. Did somebody tell us that? I've uh, confirmed it with some people, and yeah. So, so I don't, allegedly, they didn't. But no, if you I do think want, it was published. Like, what is this allegedly? It's well, like, you, obviously, it's a big fight, and you can't just say that. You it's just not documented. It's not documented in anybody's biography. I think so that it's allegedly, documented that she yeah. was not nice to him. 
that day. She that is actually he, he, he and they said did not something talk in an interview. Okay. Well, what's interesting yeah. about it too is like on that Christmas special, he and he interacts with every single guest that comes on his Christmas show except Katie Lang. Correct. Correct. And that's how I you know. did. I did read something about this, and they said. She really didn't know anything about him or who he was. So I guess she got there, didn't get what it was, looked around and thought, what the hell am I doing here? And, you know, like, they, like I guess she just thought she was on some child show that wasn't not knowing how fun and in- innovative it was. Mm-hmm. And so she just wasn't very, uh, you know, she was like, film this and let me get out of here. I think he said something about it. If he if he didn't say it in an interview, somebody did because I read something about it. Mm. It's it is documented. I don't know about a personal fight, but it's documented that she was just a little standoffish that day. Uh, Natasha Leon said, "I love you so much, Paul. One in all time. Thank you so much for so my much. career and your forever friendship all these years for teaching us what true original is." Now he he she was hit her first acting gig was as a kid on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Amazing. She is the coolest person. I just love her so much. Yeah, it's it's so great to see her, like, you know, struggle and be reborn and be this, like, you know, iconic artist and actor that she was meant to be, you know? And certainly, you know, certainly Peaches Christ saw that in her and cast her in All About Evil when, at the time, you know, it was hard to get her cast in anything because uh, of her trouble with addiction. Can we talk about yeah. how integrated his cast was? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, like at the time, having, you know, black people, Hispanics, old, young, you know, people of different racial and, and shapes and sizes all, and fur and puppets and all that stuff was seen as a very exotic thing, you know, and, and it was so seen as a queer thing. Whereas today, it's like, who cares, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, everything's trying to be, you know, a kind of multicultural yeah. casting today. And that's good. That's yeah. it's great. But then it was it was very it, – it, it took time for us to go against mm-hmm. cliché. You mm-hmm. know, we used to say male man because a male man was always a man. His was a woman. It was a mm-hmm. black woman. Mm-hmm. It was Reba the male mm-hmm. lady. Cowboy Curtis, you don't picture a cowboy being black then right. because the cliché was a white guy. Mm-hmm. Cowboy Curtis was black. King of Cartoons was black. Tito and Ricardo were Latino. Uh, Miss uh, uh, Mailman uh, Mrs. Mike. R- Mrs. Renee was Jewish. Yes. <laughs> Who taught him about Hanukkah? <laughs> oh, and he had uh, certainly uh, Charo in his Christmas mm-hmm. special saying "Feliz Navidad, Peewee," and he goes, and he was Feliz, like, and he was like, Feliz, blah, blah, blah. Blah. <laughs> and it's true. Like shows like that weren't uh, so much around like that back then. I remember seeing, a, hearing, a, or listening to Diane Carroll talk about getting on Dynasty, and she talked to the producers of the show. She's like, "You need to integrate this show." And I was just like, "Wow, you're right. There was there was no black people on the show. Really, they had some minor characters here and there, but there was nothing of any kind of substance." And you know, we, when we think about integration, we think about school busing and all that kind of stuff in the '50s and '60s. But even well into the '80s, it was like. We had and, well, and, I'm, and I'm sure, you know, still to this day, there's just these bastions of whiteness and, and Pee Wee Herman's definitely wasn't one of those things. No, he wasn't one of those. And he did it very nonchalantly. Mm-hmm. He never made an issue of it. They never got preachy about it. They, it just was what it was. Again, something that's pretty common today where, you know, a cast is just from all different backgrounds and everybody acts like that's totally normal, which it is. 
But not then, not then, not 1980, what was it, 86? 86, my God. 86, I mean, 86, 87. It it wasn't like that then, so it really stood out that they were doing that. And I I really, I noticed it at the time, and I really appreciated it. Mm. Uh, And, you know, certainly, like, there was a lot of man eye candy on the show. Like, (sighs) Mailman Mike was handsome, you know, and Tito and Randy, and, you know, even Cowboy Curtis was a hunk. You're counting Ra- Randy as eye candy? No, no, uh, Tito. <laughs> you said Randy. Did I say Randy? <laughs> the puppet. Foster's the- into puppets. <laughs> He's into fisting puppets. What was, was the name of the, uh, the... So it was the lifeguard, then he was replaced by the soccer player. Yeah, Tito and Ricardo and Ricardo, Tito. Ricardo, thank you. Not Randy, Ricardo. And, <laughs> and, you know, and even Cowboy Curtis, you know. I mean, Lawrence Fishburne getting a start as that character is just, it goes to show. And I hope that people can reflect on this. It's like, you can be as fearlessly wild and woolly and weird as you want to. Um, and it's not really going to hold you back anymore. You know, it's like, I, I just see all these young people today and they're just like, I'm worried about my brand. And I'm like, you don't have a brand. Martha Stewart has a brand. Burger <laughs> King is a brand. You're, you know, lipsticks at DragCon is not a brand. That's just you putting a sticker on some cheap knockoff shit that you bought at, you know, AliExpress and trying to pass it on to unsuspecting teenage girls. It's not a brand. <laughs> just saying. Can I get an amen up Go in off, here? Foster. And, Go you know, and, and speaking of RuPaul, uh, you know, somebody who was qu- quite a fixture in Pee Wee's scene, um, you know, and I have some stories that Pee RuPaul, like, was very close friends, of course, with Cassandra Peterson, but I guess when he would go to their parties or something, he would just go to the kitchen and talk, like, to the people, the crew in the kitchen most of the time. Uh, We heard one story. No, that was Diana Ross's party, and he was- Diana Ross. uh, Dolores Delucci told us that- she was he was hot for one of the cooks or something like that. Something like that, yeah. So he came into the kitchen to hang out with him. Uh, I get it. You know, and, and it's just like, what an amazing, you know, tribute and scene of, of friends, you know, to have these like iconic, brilliant artists all just hanging around and enjoying each other's company. But that's, you know, that's what the, the queer LA, you know, West Hollywood scene is like, you know, and certainly mm. you talk to Jackie Beat and, you know, um, all these other wonderful people that surround her. You know, and, you know, Nadia Ginsburg, um, Devin Green and Tom Goss and, you know, these kind of artists is like part of our lives. And I guess, you know, we're wanting to be that for future generations, you know. So you are, listeners, the the peewee of the future and he lives in you. You know, he, this is somebody who who uh, who you can't just let him die, you know, like you have to carry on that type of wild Puppet land weirdness. And, you know, if you're going to work with puppets, here's some advice. Treat the puppets as human beings. I just hate seeing when people work with puppets and they're just like, treat them as a prop, you know? Mm. And and I'm just like, and like make eye contact with the puppets, you know, listen to what they're saying and react to them. Because I, I think that's a big mistake a lot of people make. You know, and I even see this, like, even with Disney and the the Muppets today. It's like sometimes you're watching that and you're just like, God, this actor has not been told to make eye contact with the Muppets. So they're looking at the at the puppeteer down below uh, and the stage and not making eye contact with the puppet below. And, you know, and you can't make eye yeah. contact with Janice because she never opens her eyes. Oh, oh, I know. 
She's so stoned. Um, <laughs> so I guess misunderstood, you know, I know that you're sort of like moved into, evolved into a different phase in your life, but you know, I mean, you were somebody who put too much, so much work and, and love into your drag, into the fur and technicolor sensibilities. Like where do you see like all that in the future? Like, I mean, I mean, I know you were, you made a comeback for the wig film that was filmed for HBO. Um, I, 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 I'm more like work on things for other people that I, you know, that work with me, you know, like I recently had somebody make us some giant ice cream and giant cake costumes, which you can see on our Instagram at screaming Queens on Instagram. Um, so we, we do these for parties and events. So I'm always trying to come up with some kind of wild costume, but I'm not wearing them myself that myself anymore. It's just, you know, I, I have my avatars, because uh, I don't fit in them anymore. Yeah, I'm not willing to course it down for them anymore. I'm past that phase of my life, but I still am sort of visually obsessed, and I, I, I really get into actually editing my Instagram videos. I put a lot of work into it. I love <laughs> taking imperfect little video with my phone and then playing with it, manipulating it till it looks really cute. And um, so I've been doing a lot of that. Well, I hope, you know, with AI, it's like we start to see some, you know, because everyone's like hating on AI and saying it's going to take jobs away. And it's mm. probably true, likely true be true. Has the Barbie biz- movie been good for business? I'm looking at your Insta right now. <laughs> well, we did a lot of Barbie. Yeah. You know what? I-, I can't say we're being booked for Barbie nonstop. I did just get a call for Barbie today. But I just thought I have so much stuff that you stick a Barbie wig on it, you know, like <laughs> my pink strolling table can be Barbie. It just needs to be in Barbie wig and sunglasses. So I heard I photographed that and uh, did a bunch of Barbie stuff in a row. So, yeah, we, we the Barbie oh, champagne wow. dress and the Barbie bathing suit we made years ago. So we've had that. And oh, nice. although you can buy those on websites now. Ours was custom made by Gareth Sparrow and has a built-in corset, so you get that Barbie waistline. It's not just a little bathing suit. It's more oh. of a a little device going on in there. It's a little more couture. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand that like a lot of those women's garments, they really have foundations in them. You know, those yeah. dresses, it's like, it's everything. Mm-hmm. It's not just like a t-shirt you pop on. Right, right, right. Do you right. guys want to talk about like the big exciting thing that happened to us this past weekend? Oh, I'm looking at shattered glass on this table. I'm seeing. Can you see crystals. like on the equipment? Look at this. This is glass powder on the equipment. I sat down to work, you know, on, on Sunday, and I was just like, "Why? Are it, where did all this dust come from?" And I was like, "Whatever," you know. It's like I guess somebody was cleaning something. I don't know. And so I'm just, you know, working and then lighter Mark goes out to open the windows and he goes, oh my God. And I'm just like, what? He's like, come look. I'm like, what, what? I'm just staring at it. I'm like, I don't see it. And a bullet that would have killed Mark and me had we been sitting here podcasting when it it would have just missed us. You know, <laughs> I don't want to scare the listeners. Now, which it's disgruntled scary. drag it race queen did that to you? I think it was Neil Patrick Harris who did it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's like, you you know, you do a podcast for God, n- n- two decades, almost years. two decades. But right? I got to tell, well, because we yeah. have a, we have a sunroom or some people in Chicago call it the French room, the the front room, the, but they pronounce it as French room. Yeah. Um, and, 
so you know the bullet came in the east side and and exited through the west side it also it went on the west side it went also through the um the the curtain the cur- the it blew, the blasted the curtain and then it went through two panes of glass. Yes. That's terrifying. It, it <laughs> and into like the terrifying. neighbor's ha- window, it hit the metal edge of the frame and mm-hmm. started bonked down to the ground. And we found the bullet. Yeah, I gave it to the cops. I had to do a police report. The, 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 the cops? No, they didn't take it. They left it with us. Did they take oh, it? Oh, is it? Where is it? I don't know. I well, thought it was said. So wait, so now you have a them. hole. Oh. You have a hole in your window with like air. Like I. Like, is it your air conditioning leaking out? Did you put tape over it? I haven't, I haven't taped it up it's yet. It's a small little I'm, hole. It's a, you know, it's a, just a bullet hole. It's just a little hole. Just a little <laughs> hole. <laughs> I've never seen a bullet hole. I don't know. Uh, it was terrifying. Well, you see bullet you know? holes like in movies and stuff like that. That's kind of like what it looks like. So now we have to like replace one, two, three, four, five window panes, basically, um, because, it, you know, it got smashed. And I'm just like, God damn, you know, it's like. But this I got to tell sucks. you how many times I've thought about bullets coming through these windows. <laughs> like you've had that thousands fear. and thousands and thousands of times I've thought about. You so know, you manifested I, it. I manifested it. But you know what? I manifested it in such a way that we didn't get harmed. Can we manifest health and happiness? Yes. For ourselves and our listeners and our friends. And now, our I want people to be very clear. We were this was not any kind of targeted attack. Uh, so I we know of. as far as you know. Well, as, as far, far as, as we, we know, know, but what we do know is that the time that it happened, there were two cars chasing another car down Bryn Mawr, da- down our street. And so the, one car, the car that was being chased did get into a car crash at the end of the street. And I guess the other people fled because by this point in time, the cops were on to them because they were shooting almost, I'd say, you know, at least not if not a mile, at least half a mile, like at this car as they're going down the street. And so they think that this bullet was probably shot from a, several blocks away. Even. Yeah. Or it was somebody who just doesn't like the show. Or they just did it at the exact same time that this kind of thing happened. Or it would be somebody who would stand to financially benefit from the death of Mark and I. So, Oh. And who would oh that my be? God. It's Jesse. <clears throat> And PH, I'm saying, <laughs> just saying. Uh, anyways, but we are so, alive and and well. And uh, we have, our I'm, windows are are smashed to like the, like a base. It photographs not, better at night. It photographs really nice at night, and so I don't know. We should take some pictures. We'll with take it. some pictures. Of so it glamour too. shots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like our new glory. But hole. see, the problem with like talking about this too is that now everyone's like, see, Fox News is right. Chicago's full of. Gunfire. You know, I told my yeah. sister, and I was. She's like, "Oh, you should share it on the family thread." And I'm like, "I don't want to because like we have siblings that watch that, and they're just gonna go off on it." And like my sister's like, "Exactly, there's crime everywhere. Small town, there's crime. It's just a different kind of crime. There's crime everywhere." Mobile, Alabama. You're more likely to get shot in your home mm-hmm. by a stray bullet than than in Chicago. You know, per capita. So I'm just like, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm not worried. If you want to fight gun violence, you fight for equality, you fight for justice and compassion. Yes. It's so, so the person who shot the gun did not have the skills into aiming correctly. Well, we don't know. To, what's, Fausto, have you ever been in a high speed chase? I just know that it's like if you're shooting like two blocks away, chances are you're not going to make the target. Well, I don't know. So exactly. you're not going to bother. So we also, we don't know what the intention was. We don't know if their intention was to actually hit this person. We with don't know the, anything. With this bullet, it could have just been to instill fear. Like there's a lot of stuff that's going on there. So we don't we don't know the intention. What we do know is that the the police had had some warning that some kind of 
thing was going to happen because there was some gang activity. These two rival gangs were going to, uh, who have different turfs, were fighting about something, and they knew that something was possibly going to happen over the weekend, and something did happen. And we have to be very and, careful how we yes. talk about and it. And so what's also interesting about Chicago is, yeah. is when they hear about these kinds of things, and there is violence, they have like these peace committees that go out and they try and work with uh, people in the community, in the gang, to, you know, because it's like, you know, a lot of people think an eye for an eye, they're just, and they try and see, make them see, hey, listen, there's a different way to do this. You know, I know you're angry that your, your brother got shot, but you going out and killing somebody's not going to help you, you know? And so we can help you try and find peace to try and do that kind of thing. And so it is working to some degree, but we do still have violent crime. And violence is like an illness, is a contagious disease. Mm -hmm. And so we have to work harder yeah. to prevent that disease yeah. from spreading. That's right. And I really like how you put that, actually. It's really uh, well, thank wise. Well, thoughtful person. <laughs> and so <laughs> humble, too. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you recognize all of my good qualities, <laughs> Jesus at Christ. least a few of them. But no, I think it's very important because I want people to understand because like they're going to th immediately think that like, you know, Chicago is just a super dangerous city and we are working towards peace. But there's a lot of injustice in the society and in the city. And you're going to yeah. have violence because of that. Uh, misunderstood. Are you, were you worried that we were going to die? No. No. Oh, good. No. I think I think you could handle you could handle that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a little keep, bullet, a little bullet couldn't stop you. Should we auction off the uh, the window frames? We should donate <laughs> them to an artist. I'm sure there's some kind of artist in town who's working about violence. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it'd yeah, be like get the feast of fun window bullets. <laughs> We're auctioning it on eBay. Mm. It is pretty scary though. Actually, I mean, I no, I live in New it, York City. Mm -hmm. And crime happens here, but mm, I guess I've a couple of times heard something, and I'm so naive, I don't even realize. Someone's like, oh, those, those were gunshots. I'm like, oh. But I've no, I've never witnessed gunshots or had them come through my window or anything like that. No. Well, I think I, I, think I did hear something, and, but I think I heard more the chase than anything, and then I just kind of like went back to bed. What I'm really surprised is that when a bullet hits the window, it turns the glass into a fine dust. I, there's a little more chunky. There's a little bit more chunky, chunky, but it's not like, you know, like you would expect, like if this was a car window. I would have thought it would shatter the yeah, window. Yeah, yeah. But no, it just, it, it does this wonderful surgical, I know wonderful, but fascinating surgical hole in the window. There like, is like a cartoon, mm -hmm. you know, it's totally cartoonish. Like it looks like something from Pee Wee's Playhouse. If it's a dark reboot, of course. You know, which unfortunately we're going to have to imagine it because it's not going to happen. It's know? not going to happen. I, I mean, know. I thought I thought I heard about it years ago. And then that other Pee Wee movie came out that wasn't the dark reboot. So I still wasn't sure if that was happening. Yeah, we didn't talk about Big Top Pee Wee or big, big Pee Wee's Big uh, Vacation. What's uh, the name of the last what's one? The latest one is Vacation. That, a lot of people did not like that. That's not the name. I uh, believe is that so. the name? Pee-wee's Big uh, Vacation. Uh, big Holiday, sorry. Oh, okay. Enough. But, so, yeah, Joe Man... I don't know how to Manchelli. pronounce it. Manginello. Mm -hmm. That was kind of gayish. That kind of... Yeah. Yeah. And so, to me, I was just like... So, this is like, you know, Paul Rubens coming out as gay. Like, his the last thing he did on television was, you know, I think he was a... Appearing on a television show, but his last film was Pee Wee's Big Holiday, and he rides into the sunset with Paul with uh, Joe playing himself, 
hug him tightly in the waist, you know? I mean, I, what was strange about it is, aesthetically, um, sensibility-wise, he always came off to me as gay. However, I've never heard one actual rumor of someone who's like, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I know people that have known him. Nobody said, oh, he's gay. He picked up guys. Like, for instance, other people, like... Uh, like when Charles Nelson Riley was still alive, I heard stories about him going out to like a male stripper bar with some some mm-hmm. some people I knew, and he was like stuffing, getting drunk and stuffing dollar bills down the guy's underwear. You know, we would hear stuff about people. Never heard a peep about him dating anyone. Well, maybe he was anything. just like uh, George Michael. You know, it was like there was so much scandal around Andrew Ridgely that it's like he was kind of like a lightning rod for George Michael's sex life. You know, like we. Until George Michael really came out, people were just like, well, I know he's gay, but we don't have any, like, any evidence about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and certainly, like, a lot of people think Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens is gay, you know? It's whether he in real life was or wasn't. I, have, I find it hard to picture him not being gay, but um, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe he's not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, you know, to me, that's what a beautiful ally is, is somebody who's like, I don't care if people think I'm gay or not. I'm going to fearlessly be myself and also fearlessly live my life and make these wonderfully weird creations. And fearlessly flirt with shirtless, muscular lifeguards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Soccer players, mailmen. Who's going to play Pee Wee in the Pee Wee Herman story? I don't know. Well, you the need Paul Rubens story. The Paul Rubens story. You got to be kind of thin, right? Yeah, and young and beautiful and stuff. Because actually, you know, Paul Rubens was a handsome guy. Elliot Page. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, Elliot Page is a little old at this point in time. You want somebody in their 20s to start it off with, right? Or 30s. But did you see that photo that I posted on my wall uh, that you sent to me? uh, I sent it to you. Of of Paul Rubens, very young, in drag, drag, kind of as Carmen Miranda. (laughs) I want to see it. That was the aesthetic back then, you know? And I was like, God, that could have been me so easily. It's like like his drag and his face look so much like my dragon face at that time period. So I'm just like, you know, you know, we're, we're all connected people. Your soul sisters, and my soul sister, Hermione Herman is, <laughs> he played his, uh, his sister, you know, I hope he's in a good place. You know, I hope at least there's a, there's a pit playhouse for him having fun. Ooh, the playhouse in the sky, a movie theater where he, there's no cops. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good talking to you, Misunderstood. You know, I, I just love having you on the show and talk about... I wanted to do a show with you about uh, solving all the urban legends surrounding Carol Channing. Like corn? <laughs> the corn? corn? I don't remember having corn. Oh. Did she really say that or not? Is she African-American? You know? the, the corn thing is very not likely true. I mean... The only reason, well, I've discussed this with a friend of mine, and I thought, all right, there's no evidence this ever happened. However, the one thing that makes me think it might be true is it doesn't really have a punchline. It's just a weird thing she supposedly said. It's not like a joke with a conclusion or anything. And I thought, well, that seems like an odd thing to make up. So maybe, maybe it's odd. She's a weirdo. Who knows? Um, The uh, African-American thing, 
was interesting because she always claimed that her mother told her that. She didn't know if it was true. She didn't know if her mother was just saying so because she thought it was a negative thing to say about her father. However, Princess Deandra recently pulled up a picture of Carol's father and said, oh my God, I always thought it wasn't true, but look at him. He, he's so clearly, you know, part black. And I looked at it, and I—I I mean, I see what she's saying. I'm not so—I'm sh- not so convinced from looking at the photo. But is she, she black? Has is a, Princess Deandra black? Princess Deandra is is as black as yes. black can be. Yeah, yeah. Did we talk, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to verify because black people can really tell if somebody else is black or not. Well, that's like, what I'm saying. So that, she's like, a better past, judge yeah. of that, and they, she said. That man is black. So, and DeAndra, I mean, we joked about it for years because DeAndra always makes posts honoring different, you know, mm-hmm. historical people and celebrities for Black History Month. And I always go, you left out Carol again. You know, we would joke because <laughs> Carol looks like the whitest person in the world who's supposedly black. And she'd be like, Carol ain't black. And then she, she saw the father. She, Carol oh, was very, very tan. Carol is, come on. And she, she, always, <laughs> wore, she always wore wigs. Well, did you ever notice this? And until someone points it out, you don't realize it. But mm-hmm. Carol Channing at a certain point of the 60s and Diana Ross dressed <laughs> almost identically, like in those like kind of long, those long skinny sequin dresses mm-hmm. and stuff. They look and they had the same hairdo. They both had the same bowl cut at some point. So they were kind of similar. They were kind of like mirror image of each mm-hmm. other, but Carol with the white hair. You know? Right, right, right. It was always whiter, it was blonde, because you know, she did that gentleman prefer blondes. Well, so she kind of kept that as her as her trademark, and right. probably you know she probably knew it was to her advantage to to pass for white. Well, Deandra has declared her has declared her part black. Okay. Well, good for her. What do you so you don't agree with her? No, I no, I said Deandra. I said oh. she's the expert. She knows so, more than me. So Deandra. So I guess we're doing the podcast her. now. So. <laughs> wow, corn story. Indeterminate. It could have been a lady bunny, and they're imitating her. Or There's no, no way to know if that corn story is true. So I mean, it's, you know, had I known, because I had we, I known, I would just simply asked her. Yeah, you know, I, we didn't know that at the time. We didn't know. I don't think she. I don't think she even knew the corn story. So, but uh, her, Bruce Valanche uh, was interviewed about the corn story, mm-hmm. and he said he indeterminate. Well, and also I believe that <laughs> yeah. her uh, it was Harlan, her manager, came, Harlan Ball. issued a statement saying that Carol has heard the story. She says it's not her, but she thinks it's hysterical. And from, did we explain what it was? Somebody was in a Broadway theater bathroom, uh, bathroom and they heard like somebody they say, saw her going go in, and then they heard her say corn. They, they, they saw her going to the to the bathroom. And, you know, going, we don't know that. (laughs) And then they just hear corn. I don't remember having corn. And then the toilet flushing. I have a story in the nineties. Head of lettuce was at some, some event. We used to, you know, there was sort of like a pre drag race, you know, when New York was being a drag queen in New York, it wasn't plugged into the whole country or the whole world, but we were sort of had a certain star power here back then in a high low way. So we'd sometimes be hired or get invited to be at, at events with celebrities and such, even though we didn't have the national coverage of the drag race people. So Hedda Lettuce was at some event and now, now mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, like 
I, there's something. She, I guess she was going to gossip about Tina Louise. She saw Tina Louise Ginger from Gilligan's Island, and there was something. Oh, oh! She saw her go into the bathroom stall and pee, and heard her pee, and she thought that's so funny. I can hear Tina Louise peeing. <laughs> so she was she was at the party somewhere, you know, out of the bathroom. Ran to tell a friend, and she's like, "Oh my god, you're not going to believe this, Tina Louise." Um, I was in the bathroom, Tina Louise, and she heard Tina Louise what? Tina Louise was standing right behind her. Oh, so, oh Jesus no, Christ. that poor. And she had just a said, I, 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 she, "She said, oh, uh, well, Tina, I just wanted to say that you're a big fan of yours, Tina, and I really, you know, love your Gilligan's Island." You can't really, you can't really get on Tina Louise's good side because she was kind. She was at a lot of parties. And she was pretty bitter because they didn't make any residuals because residuals didn't exist yet. Um, so they all made no money. And instead of being gracious that people liked her, she kind of resented being known for Gilligan's Island. So everybody would try to call her Ginger. And, and instead of being nice about it, she'd be like, my name is Tina Louise. Well, she was making <laughs> movies in Europe. She was making a lot of Italian movies. And she yeah. really, like, they dragged her from Europe to do this show that she thought she was going to be the star of. And then she was just like, holy what? Yeah. Well, part of being a celebrity is you should be gracious to the public that ex- tells you they love you. And that's true. Not, you know, I but mean, it was it's unfortunate that they didn't make that money. <laughs> it's unfortunate they didn't make the money they should have made, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. that's terrible, but, you know. So one do? other mystery uh, before we wrap this up is the ventriloquist dummy that was sold by, was it J.C. Penney's? I think it was JCPenney's. It's funny Penney. that you, are you talking about the Carol, the Carol uh, Channing I just, ventriloquist I just dummy. handled it today. I was cleaning you, up. Because you I bought one. fingered her today? I have a storage closet in the basement of my building when yeah. I moved in 13 years ago. I put some shit in there and I haven't touched it in 13 years. And I just cleaned it out today and I just handled the Carol Channing dummy, put it took it out of a dusty box and put it in a bag. <laughs> just, so I guess the like question five is hours like, ago. you know, was this licensed by Carol Channing or just somebody decided to do it until she sued them to take it down? I don't think What's she the sued story them. Behind it? I'm sure she, she got some money mm-hmm. for it. I never heard that she sued them at all. I mean, what's strange about it really yeah. is that it just seems so out of nowhere. So of course, everybody who's a fan of hers, like, you know, which is not enough to be a lucrative market. We all bought like, it. We're like, oh my fan? god! Old gay it was man. it was being sold on the J.C. Penney website, and it was a part of a series of dummies that wasn't all celebrities. It was like they reissued the classic ones: Mortimer Snurd and Charlie McCarthy, and if you know, and they threw in Carol Channing, and I just thought, why? I mean, no, no child knows who that is, and there aren't enough of us weirdos to be like a collectible market. It's not like putting out a Marilyn Monroe doll or something. And why ventriloquists? Like, I've never really found out. Like, I couldn't find any articles explaining why that was released, but of course, a bunch of us nuts bought it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you well, know. It also, uh, what's interesting about the doll's phenomena is that, and you can read all about this on the internet. Um, it inspired so many people to do theatrical pieces with the Carol Channing dummy, the ventriloquist doll. And <laughs> did we have one in the live Feast of Fools? I feel like no, we no, no, we didn't. I did I one. Like it's I've still on YouTube. So, so you were- yeah, you did a YouTube series of Carol Channing talking. No, I didn't. I, I, I did. Yeah. There was a viral video on uh, YouTube before there was other, you know, viral video formats of a band from the 80s from Public Access TV 
uh, uh, singing this song, Why Do You Think You Are Nuts? And it's a really right. nutty song. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why, Why do, do you, you think, think you're you nuts? nuts? Nuts. Why do you think you're so, Sharon Needles covered that. Yeah, she did. She did. She I did. made a video of my Carol Channing dummy singing Why Do You Think You Are Nuts? And I pitch shifted my voice and I put it on YouTube. And then somebody else copied it, some of it. They didn't copy the song, but they copied some of the words I said with their dummy. And I was like, oh, wow, I started a trend. So uh, for a while there, that video was getting, uh, you know, it's still on YouTube, that video. I never took it down. It's still there. You can buy it uh, on eBay, um, but they're all like, you know, if you want it like in good quality, it's about $400. Or if you can get it without the clothing, it's 99 bucks. They did a really bad job on her hair. And I, I wasn't, I always meant to do more videos. And my intention was to get Perfidia to redo her hair or Perfidia has these doll wigs that are about that size that were made for the Blythe doll in Japan, because the Blythe dolls were really popular and people would pay to have new wigs done for them. Oh wow! So I wanted Perfidia to make a better Carol Channing wig that looked more like her hair. One of the weirdest her wig. performances that I think I've seen of Carol Channing's is she's just sitting out of bed. She's got this cap on and she starts singing from Fiddler on the Roof. If I were a rich man. I love that. It one. is so weird. Well, cause it starts out with her doing some dialogue talking like an old Jewish man. Yeah. If I was a rich man, yaddy, 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 And just the expression on her face as she's yeah, making yeah. these things is just so freakish. Oh my life, so I did it any dumb. If I was a wealthy man, oi. What's your weirdest? Uh, do you have a favorite performance or one that just is really free? Yeah, my favorite performance is it's on YouTube. It was gone for a while. I got so upset, and then it came uh, back. Nine, it, that's mine too. Yes, uh, she's singing. That's how young I feel. Oh yeah, which is supposedly a rock and roll number. It doesn't seem all that rock and roll, but it it definitely has this real sixties look about it. And she does this amazing reveal where she like takes off her jacket and it matches her dress, and it just she's. She pops out of a garbage can and mm. she's dancing with Tommy Tune and it is just nuts and it's trying and so hard to be popcorn. hip. Yeah, well, what's interesting about there that is that she, she comes in and 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 Tommy Tune is playing. Man, I'm, I'm a, you know Freaknik Beatnik. You know I'm one of your biggest fans. And she's like, ah, I think you have me confused for you know is that were you expecting, expecting Aretha Franklin? Aretha Franklin. And he's like another black artist. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, you're the original queen of, of funk, oh, you know? And he's just like, I'm the queen of Broadway, not the queen of electric circuit. And we're like, and he goes, and he goes, you're the little girl from little rock. And I'm like, what is exactly <laughs> is electric circuit that she's referencing? I think it was a nightclub. Is that a nightclub? That, that was I think it was a rock time? club. I think oh, it was a rock club. Oh, that makes mm -hmm. sense. Thank yeah. you. That's but a mystery. Bands salt. perform on circuits, though. So you would perform on the jazz circuit, the rock no, and no, roll circus. circuit. It's electric circus. No, she said circuit. In the, With uh, the I don't think so. Okay. I don't. I, don't, I like misunderstood. I'm going to Google it. it seems there, she's talking about one location and another. Okay. And it wouldn't make any sense. She's saying say, Broadway. I'm Broadway. Yeah. Not yeah Broadway. Look, the electric circus was a nightclub on St. Mark's Place in Second <laughs> Avenue in the East Village. That sounds gay. Opened in 1967, so that's what she's talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, so that would make sense. And so, to me, it's just like it's one of the most joyful, upbeat, 
wacky performances. And it's she, nuts. And I she love gets it. into I the trash it. can and and pops out like because she's trashy or whatever. What's funny yeah. with the trash can because I think it's from around the same time that her greatest work in my mind, Skidoo, came out, and that right. involves dancing trash cans. Skidoo is considered one of the worst films ever made, but I actually love it. It has amazing fashion in it, tons of celebrity cameos. Carol claims it was so bad she never watched it. I don't know if that's true. Um, she was upset because it was a flop, but I, it's so good. <laughs> it's so crazy. And that's a, that, the song she's singing is from uh, Mame, right? The song is from Mame, yeah. Yeah, originally, uh, was it Angela Lansbury or who originated the dad on Broadway? I think so. I think yeah. it was Angela Lansbury. My my auntie. Uh, Mame on Broadway? Aunt Angie, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's how young I feel. At, at least that's what I have here in front of me, but. What I think is yeah. wild about that number is they're mm-hmm. just, you know, the whole point is like Carol's, you know, getting all rock and roll, but the song is really not very rock and roll no. at all. Other, you know, it's, <laughs> I mean, the fashions are really 60s and swinging and cool, but the song does not sound like rock. Well, because there's no hard, you know, guitar, electric guitar or, or no. drums in, in it. But, you know, that's, that's what's so wonderful about Carol Channing. You know, it, to me, it's like, one of the great missed opportunities is that Carol Channing, because I guess uh, uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse, the first season, did you know it was filmed in New York? And they were like, yeah. they were saying that Paul Rubens was running a sweatshop. Like the cast and the crew were like, you got to fix this because this is way too fast of a turnaround. And so Paul Rubens, uh, in his wisdom, packed everything up and moved all the production to L.A. for the second season of the show. And that's kind of why, like, if you look at all the puppets, like, they look a little bit different as the series progressed. And that's just because they kind of hastily built these things and, you know, they started falling apart. <laughs> and it's like, like, especially Globy looks completely different than what he originated off. And, you know, to me, it would have been great to see Carol Channing on Pee Wee's Playhouse, you know? I know. I wish it was on. Not with AI, the you can't. Oh. You make that sound so easy. It'll happen in the future. <laughs> you know, just listen to Justine Bateman. She'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. The, the Hollywood uh, writers, actors strike television and filmmakers strike. You know, it's like right now, you know, artificial intelligence is threatening to and and d- demolish that whole industry. Well, they're lar- in an immediate way, it's the extras. Yeah. Because they can, they, they want to, I mean, they've already, even before all of this talk of AI, we, we did hear there was CGI multiplying extras to make larger crowds. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've heard that before. Yeah. Um, right. But the extras are complaining like they want to scan our image and just keep using us for a $168 day rate, which is crazy. It's like, you know, you're literally taking away... Hundreds of days right. I could be working, you know, and and not paying me for it. Well, and uh, you know, and part of it is like they're making record profits, and that's the thing that bothers me about these corporations. They're like, well, we have to tighten our belt. And I'm like, you're making more money now than you ever have. Yeah. And this yep. whole idea, of this conversation about you know the economy picking up, and there's you know Biden's doing such a great job with the economy and all that stuff, and it's like. For some people, but for other people, you know, the the inflation's at an all time high still. It's yeah, the cost of food is you know dropped out a little bit, but it's still very high. And, and it's like you know, even people with mortgages, the the mortgages rates are going up. You know, so it's 
it's it's like rent is going up and it's just like it's not sustainable. So I don't know what like the next five to ten years is going to look like, but you know it's going to be a, a very uncertain future if it's not addressed. And thank God, Pee Wee Herman did not have to live to see that. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm I'm glad I got to have that one little moment in a room with him once. I mean, oh. he, he is one of those people that I, you know, I in my mind I always thought, oh, it would be so great if somehow through mutual friends we actually got to like know each other you know you always think that but when you live in new york it's possible but uh, you know the thing about celebrities are i i got to meet a lot when i did drag and a lot i was a little bit of a sucker for let me get a photo with them it looks good i can you know post a photo online of me with this celebrity but i often didn't even care about them it was more like they were like, that's Johnny Knoxville. I'm like, who's that? He's like, I got this show. All right, I'll get a picture with him. I really didn't give a shit. But some people, and they're usually not the people everybody else liked, you know, some quirky people I would get so excited about. You know, I met Fred Schneider from the B-52s once. I got so excited over that one. I met Elvira once. I was so excited over that one. You know, I'm friends with Fred Schneider on, on Facebook. We so am I, yeah. chat with each other all the time. Yeah. It's sort of weird, right? Because it's like, you know, Paul Rubens, um, you know, had a bit of a wall between him and the public, but you know, Fred Schneider, equally inspirational and an iconic. Um, you could talk to him anytime you like. You know? Yeah, yeah, you know? but it's different than knowing them, really knowing them. Yeah. I mean, I've met people. You know, I've met people a few times. Like I've met Debbie Harry quite a few times. However, in our scene, there's there's quite a few people that are good friends with her, and I'm always a little jealous. Like, oh wow, that would be really cool to be good friends with her. It must be funny when you're good friends with them, though, because you must know them when they're being assholes too. Because even if they're nice people and they're your friends, you know, you yeah. you might you must know their you must know their flaws in a way that we fans don't know. Like, oh, that Debbie, she's such a slob. She just burps and doesn't, you know, she burps and doesn't say anything. She just chews well, with her mouth open. And I know people that feel that way about you. And I would say, you know, you're one of those people who, even when you're cranky, you're still a very nice and sweet person. Uh, to your face. Well, that's what counts, isn't it? Well, <laughs> or was it you who shot the window? It was me. It was me. Damn you, misunderstood. <laughs> I'll see you in heaven soon, Pee Wee. <laughs> Hopefully a lot le later than sooner. Uh misunderstood. Thank you so much for coming on our show and you know being a friend and uh, and such a wonderful person in so many people's lives. Oh, well thank you for coming on my phone couch. Yeah. My face. <laughs> thank you for coming on my yeah. What are you going to come um, to Chicago and visit us again? I don't know when I'm coming to Chicago, but I will. My niece lives there now, so mm -hmm. I have a reason to come. Um, and she has a guest room. Oh, so Lovely. yeah, flights are I cheap. Know. Flights are cheap. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. I want to go swimming in the lake again. That was fun. Oh yeah, you should come. Nobody up. thinks about Chicago as has a lake beach. We, I didn't even I know that. We're a twelve-minute walk away from a gay beach, and if you go there on a Saturday and Sunday in the summer, it's like there's a thousand yeah. gay men, if not more, queer people, all sorts of body shapes, sizes. Everybody's there. It's just like everyone's welcome, and we have a lot of fun. And there's no no one carding people yes. at the door. And there's also like the, the cops don't wild, the I cops mean. don't really patrol it like they patrol the other because the other beaches they patrol because like the 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 straight beaches those can get out of hand and fights and stuff like that can really happen. But like it is so chill, it is so fun. 
It, you know, it, I'm sure fights happen on the the gay beach, but you know, it's mostly yeah, people it's about arguing it's, about whether you know uh, Jimbo or uh, Candy Muse should have won. The, the last fight that I heard about at the gay beach was somebody who was cruising it and said that there was this bossy, uh, like the, these bottoms were get, got two bottoms got into a fight because they both wanted to get fucked by the same guy, <laughs> and that was like there are some were, really they were good fighting looking. over and which a hard one dick. of you won. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you, it's like there are some good-looking people at that beach, and if I want to get somebody like sexually aroused, we take him to the beach because then they're like they it's get a very, horny. It's a very sexy scene, yeah. but also too, uh, you know, especially like after the lifeguards leave after September seventh, you know, we still have beach weather into October sometimes. Yeah. You know, it can be nice, and it's like I mean, there's people that's just like. It it could be a nude beach there during the during right, the weekdays. Right. I mean, I've seen people having sex there, like right out there in the public. It's wild. It's the wow. future. It's the future. Yes, and it's a beautiful future. Mm-hmm. It's not a future like you know Mad Max. It's like the Tina Turner without the Mad Max. Mm. You know, she made the rules. <laughs> she did make the rules, didn't she? <laughs> she did. You she's, don't have to she's tell. She's not me afraid the... of telling you that she made the no, rules. No. Yes. This meant we had a deal. Right or wrong, we had a deal. Do you, can, I can say no, it from You can't a, say it. You can't say it because you always yeah. fuck it up. Go What's ahead. this? What's this? <laughs> Just, you don't have to tell me about the rules. Wasn't it me who wrote the rules? This man, we had a deal. Right or wrong? Oh, shit. I did fuck it up. Of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> right or wrong, we had a deal. And it says, and it's the deal says, bust the deal, deal face, the, face wheel. the wheel. Yay. And they go, bust the deal, face the wheel. <laughs> and they all chant that. Poor Tina. We just lost her recently, yeah. too. Yeah. And, and um, Sinead O'Connor. And Sinead oh. O'Connor. Who's oh. also, whose who's name, you know, uh, her, her her Muslim name we should use. She's so, she suffered so much. Because, uh, you know, her, her, um, her. Priest or, or you know her Mufi Mufti Muffy Mufi Mufti Mufti who her name I don't are you talking about her her Islamic spiritual yeah. teacher No her name Oh Muslim name I think everybody calls her Shanae Shu Shuhada Sadakat Okay So people are saying like that's her name Stop calling her Sinead O'Connor just like you want to be respectful about people's pronouns mm-hmm. Uh, if this person converts their name because they converted to Muslim religion, it's like be respectful. So, shout out to I, I, I'll Shudhada never really understand Sadakat. her. You know, she was so hurt and damaged by you know in her childhood by her mother and and her religion, mm-hmm. and then she just kept going from religion to religion. Her whole life, she kept leaving one thing, going to another thing. I, I'm glad I was didn't grow up with religion because I don't need any of it. And I just think like, oh, she probably would have done better to stay away from all of them. Yeah. I just like, have no interest in any of it at all. Don't need it in my life. Mm-hmm. She wanted to uh, belong, you know, and, and she says, described her, um, her mental health as a sieve with full of holes. You know, it's like, yeah, she so had a lot of just really hard for her to contain, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it always escaped her. And as she lost her, son just to you know, oh, she so she was such a brilliant so but now. very troubled person and when you really you know hear more about her her troubles go way back i mean when you're when you're treated that way as a child when you're a developing person it just you know 
you can damage someone for life. And it, that sounds like that's what happened. I mean, she really, she really had lifelong mental issues. And at the same time, she was, she was so brilliant and she was so talented and, and I, her music had such an impact on me. And it always saddened me to hear her just be such a tortured soul and um, I wasn't really surprised when this happened, really. Pee-wee surprised me. Sinead, it was kind of clear this is how it would end. I mean, she was... Yeah. You I know, don't think she, she was headed that the, way. Well, she died from mental health as a result yeah. of mental health issues, you know, but it's like, yeah, yeah. It's just never, you know, it, it's it's a tragedy. And, and, and you know, and I, here doing this podcast, I know sometimes we're like, and, and this is just like internet culture in general, like, somebody we love dies and then all of a sudden we're all rushing to create content about them. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, don't wait till that person's dead to pay tribute to them. You know, we certainly have done many shows about Pee Wee Herman and not, definitely not Sinead O'Connor or, or Shuhada Sadaka. Oh, man, that song nothing compares to you was so big. I had a friend who broke up with her boyfriend and she listened to that song like 20 times a day. It was pathetic. But that was a beautiful song. It was one of the, it was the beautiful, best things Prince but you ever know, wrote. She's one of those people that when her popularity died down, I still kept buying her albums. Because mm. even the stuff she put out later that was less popular in America was really good. Mm-hmm. Like she was she was really good. Everything she did was great. Like yeah. you know, some people you like and then you go, Oh, they're not good anymore. I like the early albums. I I don't know if I had her very last one or so. I think she might have put out a religious one I didn't buy. Oh, they always do that at some point. Mm-hmm. But but I did buy I did buy most of her albums and I thought it was ama- I thought they were amazing. She's just um there's no one like her. A true talent. Really. I even uh, photoshopped Amanda Cohen um as Sinead O'Connor tearing up a photo of Britney Spears. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for a podcast many, many years ago. That's fight the real up. enemy fight the real enemy uh you know and, and and her like uh and that's a pretty common thing that uh people parodied and references her her exit to uh, from the public space um on saturday Night live when she spoke out against the catholic church systemic uh, abuse of children and the cover-up and she took a picture, you know, she said that, that that photo that she tore up of John Paul II is a photo that hung, still hangs in her mother's house. Wow. You know? So it's a, it's a photo that had very deep spiritual and religious meaning. And, you know, as a Catholic person, she felt that her trust in the organizational leaders of her church was betrayed. Yeah. And, you know, and she was right. She was right. You know, she was dead right. She was right. I mean, I, yeah. I get my popes mixed up, which was which. The, n- not the current pope, but the pope right before him, which I think was the one after the one she ripped up. The Polish pope, John Paul, Carol, John Paul II. Yeah. Yeah. He, the, he, the last pope who's was was very anti-gay. He was Benedict. Ratzinger before, right? Like Cardinal Ratzinger before he was Pope. Yeah. That was his name. He He's the one that kicked the gays out, the gay organizations out of Catholic churches and schools. Because in the, in the late 80s, liberal Catholic local churches would let the gay groups meet there. And right. he, he wrote something, they called it the Ratzinger letter, kicking them out. However, he also had a hand in moving all of those abusive priests around. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he really... He should have been in jail. 
He should have been in prison. You know, somehow you're protected by being a religious leader. Someone commits a crime and you don't you don't report right. them to the authorities. You move them around. I mean, in any other career that's a criminal, you'd go to jail. But somehow you're a religious leader. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to hide criminals. But, you know. Meanwhile, you know, Paul Rubens in the movie theater looking at, you know, porn and, you know. He's the criminal. You know, Alice, yeah. you know, Alice, who died is Ingo Swenson from. Uh, she played Gretchen Cross on Benson. Did you ever watch Benson? Oh, Benson! Up? Oh yes. wow, I remember she her. She was Benson's oh. foil. Yes, Robert Guillaume. She played the German cook. Yes, and she was. I mean, they got along, but they would always fight though too. But you yeah. know, it's sitcoms right, right, always right. had to come I, together I, at the end and have a little more understanding of each other. She was ninety years old. Wow! Wow! Well. Uh, misunderstood. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We we do have to wrap things up, but all right, you're welcome. You can you can just um send me a send me a check or a Venmo. Thanks, okay. I appreciate all right. that. All right, you're welcome. Give me your two cents. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Misunderstood lives in New York City. Follow her on Instagram, Screaming Queens Entertainment. Mm -hmm. We're going to put the link to that in the show notes. If you're in need of drag queens or uh, party girls for your entertainment purposes, reach out to her. She does stuff all over. Uh, yeah, internationally, even she can book people. So. But this is like not sexual party girls. No, like. I mean you know, women are not little. The girls, you know, <laughs> they're they're in the middle of. This a is ta- for entertainment, yes, not sexual yes. purposes. Listen, I don't get all up in her business. I'm just giving her a little plug. <laughs> you know, if those girls are plugging other things, I don't. I don't need to know about it. Okay. No, it's it's you know like if you need a like entertainment for yeah. a, a corporate kids, event, kind of stuff, you know, uh, a birthday party or some you know. N- special event uh you know misunderstood chat help you know connect with her because she's really the person to talk to yes and she knows every drag queen in the world okay yeah okay. i mean really yeah. extraordinary i made it fun and exciting and now what? you're just driving it why into the ground. why because you just you just do a little plug and then you move on oh, you don't have okay. to explain everything well, I'm trying to get people to to think of misunderstood. You lost them when, already. They forgot. Well, I lost them. Yes. They but let's see how that negativity now that loses them. Okay. You know? Yeah. If when you think of fun, think of misunderstood. Call one eight hundred Screaming Queens Listen, I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. If you're not a Plus subscriber yet, consider signing up at feastofun.com slash plus for an ad-free experience. Yeah, and remember, if you ads ads are annoying, but they do pay the bills. But if you want a, an ads-free experience, the best way to do that, Patreon, patreon.com slash feastofun, or feastofun.com slash plus. So you can access thousands, thousands of shows, including shows about Pee Wee Herman that we've done in the past. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for uh, listening, and I know, I know we've been up and down, and it's like literally bullets are flying into Cancer, our studio. bullets, and that's all just kinds the tip of, of things. The iceberg. But uh, you know, we really appreciate you guys' uh, uh, listenership and your friendship and your support over the years. So thanks for listening. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.